lot of work is boring. That's why we look forward to weekends and time off. And when we're at work, we look for ways to make it more interesting, to pass the time. And the best way of making the workday go faster is through song. Workers doing routine tasks, from milling cloth to harvesting crops, have always sung as they work. Work songs are as old as recorded history. And big employers were quick to recognize that workers could be motivated by music and even encouraged to become loyal employees by singing the right kind of song. Anthems, it turns out, aren't just for countries. Welcome to episode four of this series on national anthems, the worst songs in the world. My name is David Pate. I'm a broadcaster, writer and journalist in Halifax, Nova Scotia. In this episode, we're going to look at how organizations, companies and communities adopt songs to create brand loyalty. Turn to page five. Page five in the songbook, we'll do one verse and two choruses of Ever Onward on page five of the songbook. Two. Throughout the we're about to toast the corporation that we represent. We're here to cheer each pioneer and also proudly boast of that man of men, our friend and guiding hand. The name of T.J. Watson means the courage not consumed, and we feel honored to be here to toast the first chorus. worked at IBM in the 1940s or 50s, you probably sang this song at a company gathering. Ever Onward was written especially for IBM, which was led by a man who firmly believed in the power of music to bring people together. Of course, he also wanted them to sell together. Thomas Watson offered a deal. If you stay loyal to IBM, then IBM will stay loyal to you. It was a capitalist social contract, and thousands of employees accepted the deal. IBM took the idea of corporate singing very seriously. It published a book with dozens of songs mostly sung to tunes that people already knew, like Tipperary and Auld Lang Syne. Most of the songs were about executives at the company, 
founder Thomas Watson, of course, is heavily featured. But the real goal was to get everyone at the company to believe in its mission to take over the world, or at least the world of industrial accounting machines. So it's no surprise that the official company songs share much in common with national anthems. What those songs represented were team-building exercises. They were written to be sung at corporate events, where sales staff and engineers came together to be motivated and bonded into a single IBM culture, which is what anthems are designed to do. People weren't expected to die for IBM, but they were expected to be 100% loyal to the company. And IBM wasn't alone in adopting musical propaganda. Japanese companies took the corporate anthem idea to new heights. Workers weren't just encouraged to sing along at company barbecues, they were expected to start their day by reciting the company's mission statement. And then sing the company's song. The goal was the same as it was in IBM, to build company loyalty. Both IBM and major Japanese employers were offering the same deal. You stay loyal to us and we'll offer you jobs for life. It's hard to believe in today's gig economy that such a thing was possible. But up until the 1980s, the idea that you could work for one employer for your entire career wasn't that unusual. And in Japan, a cultural tradition of respecting authority meant your employees didn't need to be forced to sing, they accepted it as part of the job. But don't think that's unique to Japan. Walmart in the US may not have an official song, but it certainly encourages its employees to start their day with a chant. And you have to wonder how much choice workers at a Chinese factory in Ethiopia had about taking part in a daily group chorus of the Chinese song, Unity is Strength. The practice of singing company songs has largely disappeared, but companies can't seem to let go of the idea of having an anthem. It's hard to understand exactly why. Maybe it's a vanity project promoted by a music-loving CEO. Although if that's the case, you have to wonder why corporate anthems are uniformly terrible. The list of songs that companies produced and then tried to kill is long and entertaining. At some point, someone in the international accounting and consultancy giant KPMG must have thought they had a winner on their hands when they commissioned the corporate song Global Strategy back in 2001. KPMG was strong as can be 
That's all I'm going to play from that song in the hopes of avoiding the attention of KPMG's lawyers who've done their damnedest for 20 years to wipe that song from the internet. Fortunately, lovers of terrible corporate anthems keep finding ways of letting you hear it. You have to wonder why no one had the guts to kill that project before it was released onto an unsuspecting world. But KPMG isn't alone in trying to forget or deny its horrible musical past. Among the more notorious examples is this one, from the British security company G4S. The company, one of the world's largest, won the security contract for the 2012 London Olympics. But it blew it. The government was forced to step in after the company failed to hire enough staff to do the job. Soldiers and police officers had to be drafted in and the company was dragged before a parliamentary committee. The chief executive, the magnificently named Nick Buckles, didn't have much of a defence. Mr Buckles, it's a humiliating shambles, isn't it? It's not where we'd want to be, that is certain. It's a humiliating shambles for the company, yes or no? I cannot disagree with you. And that's when the song was rediscovered. Recorded the previous year, it was just what the company didn't need. In the wake of the Olympic debacle, the company tried to distance itself from the song, denying it was a corporate anthem, but rather a promotional video used to boost business in the US. But the damage was done. One exceptionally cruel headline in the New Statesman magazine stated, G4S, securing the world, Nickelback style. It's easy to pick on corporate anthems because they're awful. And given they're just vanity projects, they deserve all the abuse they get. Company executives in love with the idea of an anthem could take some advice from ancient Rome. When a victorious Roman general was cheered through the city streets, he was accompanied by a man who would constantly remind him that fame was fleeting. Remember thou art mortal. Remember thou art mortal. Remember thou art mortal. Remember thou art mortal. Any CEO who muses about commissioning a company song needs an underling to whisper in their ear, Remember G4S. Remember G4S. No matter where you live, there's probably a song you associate with your hometown. Not a big national anthem type song, but something local. Something that everyone joins in with when a pub band breaks out the tune on a Saturday night 
In Nova Scotia, where I live, there are a couple of candidates. If you ever meet someone from Nova Scotia, just say this. Oh, the year was 1778. I can pretty much guarantee they'll finish the lyric. Or maybe even sing you the entire song. It's called Barrett's Privateers. The other song you'll hear all around Nova Scotia is this one. Farewell to Nova Scotia, the sea-bound coast. Let your mountain dark and dreary be. For when I'm far away on the briny ocean toast, will you ever heave a sigh and a wish for me? Farewell to Nova Scotia is widely held to be the unofficial anthem of the province. And like all such songs, it brings people together and gives them a common sense of belonging. That song belongs to a tradition of Scottish folk music carried by emigrants to their new homes. It's not as inclusive as it might appear. People had been living in what we now call Nova Scotia for thousands of years before the settlers arrived. The Mi'kmaq have a deep musical tradition of their own, and they didn't hear their stories in the songs the new arrivals were singing, but they did see their culture disappearing. Mi'kmaq elder George Paul was inspired to write a song that represented the pride and history of his people. A song that could be sung at powwows and gatherings of friends and in schools. A song to connect their past and their future. The song calls on the singers to honour themselves and their ancestors and to come together to help each other. The Mi'kmaq honour song has come to be seen as the national anthem of Mi'kma'ki, the traditional territory of the Mi'kmaq people. Not many people actually get to write an anthem, but sometimes all it takes is a friend asking you to do it, even if you've never been to the place you're writing about. In the 1970s, Dave Mitchell was an American working at a NASA tracking station on the British territory of Ascension Island, a remote speck of land in the South Atlantic. He was also a musician and played in a country band. 
Most of the people on Ascension were from St Helena, which is technically a neighbouring island, but is actually 1300 kilometres away. So the saints, as they're known, didn't get to go home much. Back in the 70s, that involved a long boat ride. So one of Dave Mitchell's friends suggested he write a song about St Helena. And, after some reluctance, because he'd never been there, and with the help of some postcard pictures, Dave wrote My St Helena Island. The saints on Ascension loved it and wanted people back home to hear the song. On a trip back to the US in 1975, Dave Mitchell went to a recording studio, laid down the track and sent copies of the single to the radio station in St Helena. It was quickly adopted as the island's unofficial anthem. Diamonds, they are pretty. Dave Mitchell never got to visit St Helena, but remained thrilled for the rest of his life that his song had taken root on the island. As we've heard, anthems are very popular, even if they're not always a good idea. But there's one organization that wants nothing to do with them, because its job is to promote peace, security, and friendly relations all over the globe. And let's face it, most anthems are incompatible with those goals. I'm talking about the United Nations, and it doesn't have an anthem. The closest thing it has is a poem, written by W. H. Auden in 1971. While it has been performed as a song, it really doesn't work. Poets don't always make great lyricists. So let's hear it as a poem read by the author. Let mortals beware of words, for with words we lie. Can say peace when we mean war. Foul thoughts speak fair and promise falsely. But song is true. Let music for peace be the paradigm. So that's part of a spoken poem about why music alone carries a true message. It's what I would call an anti-anthem. But if we are to have anthems, let's find a better way of doing them. And inspiration for that can be found in Tennessee. 48 of the 50 US states have official songs or anthems. They're a mixed bunch, ranging from the nondescript to the awesome. Just consider that Georgia's state song is Hoagie Carmichael's Georgia on my mind. Tennessee also has a great song, 
in Tennessee Waltz. But Tennessee didn't stop there. It has an entire songbook of official state songs, 10 of them, including a rap song. In the Tennessee, oh, how proud we are of thee. Volunteer state since 1812, glad our fathers picked here to dwell. Presidents, presidents, proud are we. Wouldn't it be great if countries followed Tennessee's example, added new anthems as times change, and then play whatever anthem best suits the occasion? But if a country wants to stick with just one song, make it a great one. One we can all enjoy. Maybe be more like Kansas and pick a song the whole world can sing. Oh, give me a home where the buffalo roam, where the deer and the antelope play. Imagine having an anthem that all people want to sing along with. Because it's hard to whip up nasty nationalist fervor if everyone wants to join in with your song. A discouraging word And the skies are not cloudy all day How often at night When the heavens are bright By the light from the glittering stars Have I stood here amazed Ask as I gaze if that glory exceeds that of ours. Home, home on the rain, where the deer and the antelope play, where seldom is heard a discovery. Skies are not loud. 